0: Nice day, huh?
1: Yeah, finally, right.
0: Where are you from? Your English is perfect.
1: San Diego. We speak English there.
0: Oh uh, no. Uh, <clears throat> where are you from?
1: Well, I was born in Orange County, but I never actually lived there.
0: I, uh, I mean, before that.
1: Before I was born.
0: Yeah, like well, where are your people from?
1: Well, my great grandma was from Seoul.
0: Korean. I knew it. I was like, she's either Japanese or Korean. But I was leaning more towards Korean.
1: Amazing.
0: Hamshasina. Yeah. There's a really good teriyaki barbecue place near my apartment. So I actually really like kimchi.
1: Cool. What about you? Where are you from? San Francisco. But where are you from?
0: Oh, I'm, I'm just American.
1: Really? You're Native American?
0: No, uh, just regular American. Oh, well, uh, I guess my grandparents are from England. Oh, well... Hello, Gamda! What's all this, then? Top of the morning to ya. Let's get a small tea, small tea! Double-double, toil and trouble! Mind the gap! Beware, Jack the Ripper! Pip-pip! Mm, Cheerio!
1: I think your people's fish and chips are amazing.
0: You're weird.
1: Really? I'm weird? Must be a crane thing.
0: <laughs> well, I want to start this morning with a quote uh, from Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who says, "Remember, remember always that all of us, you and I especially, are descended from immigrants and revolutionists." And I would say that this quote is true with the exception of my buddy Dennis, who is Native American, and he's been very gracious in tolerating my presence here for years. Uh, In fact, so funny, he met me after the service and said, Pastor Mike, I don't just tolerate you. I welcome you here, right? And just good to keep all of that in mind. Now, I want you to grab your notes out of your handout. You'll see what the title of today's message is. And I want you to understand that this loaded question is a bait and switch, or as they say in German, the bait und switch, okay? Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be talking about languages today because honestly, it doesn't matter to Jesus what language we speak. He speaks them all. And in heaven, we're going to hear from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. So we better get used to it in his church today. No, um, I'm, I'm not going to spend time talking about language preferences either, although, you do know that we're going to be reading from a Bible that has been translated into English. And um, we do interpret today's message into Spanish as we do weekly, and we're interested in interpreting um, our message into even more languages as we have interpreters volunteer. Why? Because we want to make the good news of Jesus' love as available and as accessible to as many people as possible. We know that in Lake Washington School District alone, there are 127 languages spoken, And so to this end, we feel like we're right in line with Paul's heart. Paul says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So what we're going to do before we begin this discussion is what we've done in every other loaded question throughout this series. We're going to ask Jesus for his grace. And I do want to let you know, sort of as we wrap this series up, how I have seen him answer our prayers that he has covered us with his grace. I am so proud of you as a church. Overlake, we have, we have uh, traveled and navigated through some prickly places, and yet I have seen um, uh, most of you, uh, certainly I have been stretched and challenged in this series, but I'm just so thankful that Jesus has been meeting us and administering his grace to us as we have proceeded. So let's go ahead and ask him once more for his grace over this discussion. Jesus, we do want to thank you. Uh, We want to thank you for how you love us. You love us exactly where we are and exactly who we are. You you love us no matter what color our hair or our eyes or our skin. You love us no matter what country we or our ancestors hail from. You love us and you're present with us today and we're thankful for that. And we ask that you would show us now what it means to just be covered by your grace in, in this discussion about immigration and what it means for us to have your perspective and a, and a biblical lens through which we might view this and, and continue the dialogue. We pray all of this, the grace that we're asking for, is we're praying in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to declare something to you, and it's this, that backstory changes everything. When you know the backstory behind something, it gives context and it humanizes the scenario. Have you noticed this? It might not change the facts of a situation, but it sure does change the emotional realities around a scenario, oftentimes completely reversing a prior judgment that you might have made. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, You might see someone in their presentation, uh, in their physical appearance, by the clothing that they might choose to wear, and and you might make a judgment, uh, some kind of a condemnation sort of judgment. Uh, Oh, that person is a fat slob. And then maybe somebody takes you aside and gives you the backstory. Well, I know you think that she's a fat slob, but what you don't understand is, from the ages of seven to 15 years old, her father raped her every night. And she's holding on to hope the very best that she can, and she's leaning into Jesus Christ, and she's going to counseling. But, but the weight that she wears and the clothing that she to- chooses, it's kind of like a shield protecting her against future assault. And you hear the backstory, and you are instantly convicted. Ah, I'm such a jerk. I, I shouldn't judge. Right? Backstory changes everything. Uh, maybe uh, around Overlake, you're walking through the hallway, and you see a child running crazy, maybe a little out of control. And you, you just make a, a snap judgment, a, a, some, a, a condemnation type of judgment. You say, oh, that kid's a brat. And then somebody pulls you aside and tells you the backstory. Yeah, you don't understand. That kid was ab- abandoned by their biological parents. Their entire formative years were built in trauma and abuse. And and even though now they've been adopted by loving uh, family, you, you need to understand that they're investing hundreds of hours in counseling and the very best that, that medicines can afford, and their, their heartbreak is all around this scenario, but there's a commitment to love it and to honor and to raise this child in the Lord. And, and you hear that backstory, and you go, ah, oh, what do I do? What was I doing?" Why do I judge so quickly, right? The backstory changes everything. And, and we know this. We, we realize that what the backstory does is it humanizes something, it draws us into the conversation, and it gives us context for us to have a, a more intelligent dialogue. And I would say the conversation of immigration is like that because every single case has a backstory. For example, I'll give you the story of Liliana. Liliana is married to a U.S. citizen. They have three children together, all U.S. citizens. She's lived in the United States for over 10 years without so much as a driving infraction against her. But recently, a knock on the door while she was feeding her two-month-old, and the INS agents informed her that she was being deported Under the current laws, she is now permanently ineligible for living legally in the United States. This is due to circumstances that happened when she was a teenager and tried to enter the U.S. with fake documentation. So unless some sort of a pathway or an agreement is reached, a family is literally being destroyed. And the backstory then changes everything. Friends, it doesn't mean that it excuses all behavior or that it gives people the right to do whatever they want to do as long as the backstory is difficult enough, but it gives context and it provides us a platform for mercy in the discussion. Why is that? Because when we know the backstory, then we're we're helped to determine a person's motives. Now track with me on this one. Do motives matter? Absolutely. Ask it this way. Do motives matter in a court of law today? Absolutely. Let's imagine a scenario in which you kill somebody. Now you're in a court of law because the facts are that you've killed somebody. Does the court have any interest in determining your motive? Absolutely. Because if you premeditated and you plan and you acted out a murder, then you're gonna go to jail for a long time. If you accidentally killed this person, then you'll be tried for something else, something called manslaughter. And if you were protecting yourself or your family, you might be determined that that was in self-defense. You'll go free. Does motive matter? Absolutely it matters. Does it matter to God? It matters greatly to God. In fact, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says this again and again and again, your heart absolutely matters to God. Right? And he teaches us this. He says, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. But I say that even your anger matters to God. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. These things are good. You know, don't commit adultery. It's not good. Adultery, bad. You know, like, yeah, don't commit adultery. But let me tell you, your lust matters to God. Right? Our motive absolutely matters to God. And, and it, it, it's helpful for us to, to get our minds around this reality when it comes to the discussion of immigration Because there are many motives for immigration, but an overwhelming motive is simply to build a life that provides basic life necessities for family and for self. It's not a bad motive. Another motive that comes up again and again is the motive to be able to tuck children in bed at night and not be anxious for their safety all night long. Are these motives that we all share? I hope so. Do these motives matter to God? Uh, You bet they do. If we were all born in a place where we could not provide these essentials for our family, would we strive in order to do so? I hope we would, right? And so what I want to do is I want to give you another story, another snapshot into an Overlake family so that you can get your mind a little bit more around the backstory. So go ahead and watch this video.
1: Um, to the United States uh, looking for a better opportunity in life, uh, not only for me but for my family as well, for my parents. I leave my parents uh, behind and uh, at a time I didn't see myself providing you know, for them in the future and I wanted to create a better opportunity in life for them.
2: I came to the U.S. because I have, uh, I have uh, three kids that I need to provide for them. With my job that I have at that time, they didn't give me enough money to feed them and provide them. So I decided to move here with my three kids, so to give them a better future. And that's when I met Liz.
1: I faced many challenges, but the three three that marked my life—it's. cultural, you know, that, that, that cultural barrier, um, the language barrier, and uh, the loneliness that you face.
2: The second barrier for me was the language, because I didn't speak any English or write any English. So even when I went to the store, it was difficult for me to communicate, to ask for something. Even for my kids, when they have a friend, the kids, they come to them and they wanted to speak the language and they don't know how to answer. So it was very
1: difficult for us. That third barrier that was, you know, really, really that got a hold of me uh, was that loneliness, you know, it's that feeling deep in your heart that, you know, you want to be with the people you love and you're not, you want to be with people that that speak your language and you're not. And that's when only God can come to the picture, you know, and rescue you from there.
2: I was by myself with my kids and I didn't have anybody. Come to it when I have a problem. That's when I, uh, a friend, invites me to church, and that's when I start knowing him, and everything came alive.
1: Overly has played such a role in our lives. Uh, uh, we feel the support, you know, of every single person. Uh, I can come in here and be myself because we're all, we're all, we all belong to the uh, uh, kingdom of heaven, right? I can be that helping hand to somebody else, you know, that is in me. I can be a friend, I can be a brother to somebody else too.
2: And it's been a blessing, a really big blessing to us. We went, we went, we've been going through so much stuff, but so much problems, but the Lord has been there with our family, our church. He's been there, pastors, brothers, sisters helping us with everything. And we feel like home.
1: me, I, I'm pretty sure you know that maybe we don't speak the same language, maybe we're not going to be able to communicate. You don't need words when it comes to love. Love is a universal word and, you know, I mean, God planted that, is, that in our hearts so we can go and just give it, give it, you know.
2: Bueno, te queremos agradecer Overlake porque ha sido una gran bendición para nuestra vida. Porque has ayudado a muchas naciones eh, y a muchas personas que han venido a Overlake. Desde el fondo de nuestro corazón te agradecemos porque nos has tomado como parte de tu familia y le damos gracias a ello.
1: Well, we just want to say thank you, Overlay, for being there for us. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. It's uh it's amazing, you know, how can you feel loved and accepted in a place where it has nothing to do with countries or places, you know. It it has everything to do with being part of the kingdom of God, extending the kingdom of God here on earth. And we just want to say thank you.
0: That's Luis and Carmen. And if you, if you don't know Luis, I just want you to understand that when we're glorified in heaven, we'll have the joy level that Luis has. I mean, he's, he's just filled with joy. And it's so good to be on the road with them and to be on the journey with that, that family. Um, but I, I do want you to know, and if you don't already, most of you do know this, but immigration right now, as it stands, the process, it's a really hard road to walk. And I mean this for everyone, regardless of, of what uh, nation they might be coming from. And I'll just tell you, I only have this much personal interaction with, with the process. But when my wife Jody and I um, decided that we were going to adopt from South Africa, we had to walk a road with Homeland Security, um, walking a road with the citizenship of our son, and we spoke uh, the predominant language here in America, English. We, We had a stable place to petition from. We had some means at our disposal, and still, we almost despaired in being able to bring our son safely and legally home into the United States. Um, and, and our, uh, our um, experience is, is, that's not sort of out of the norm. In fact, that was on the easy end of the spectrum. A, a buddy of mine, a foreigner from Australia, who came here legally, who had a job, married an American gal, still had a very negative and protracted experience, filled with fear and anxiety and uncertainty. The same thing with my friend Chris, who immigrated from Canada. I just say this so you understand. Right now, the system that we have, it's largely a broken system. And there is a need for something to change, for something to move, for there to be a process that makes sense. This week, I read about a man named Silverio. Silverio fled in his youth, the country of his birth, because there was a rogue militia who was inducting young men into the militia, for the purpose of exterminating Silverio's uh, home people. And so he fled. He didn't wanna be a part of exterminating his own people. And he arrived at the US. Immediately, he applied for political asylum. Now, the application process for, for Silverio took 15 years. I want you to think back where you were 15 years ago. Has anything changed in your life in 15 years? right? So the process took 15 years for Silverio. Meanwhile, he gets married to a U.S. citizen. They have a few children together. He works and pays taxes and builds a life for himself and his family as an honest, hardworking man. But after 15 years, he's informed that his political asylum visa has been denied, and they arrest him on the spot and deported him. That was four years ago, and he is still trying to reunite with his family today. Friends, just about everyone, and I mean everyone, all the way across the political spectrum, thinks that we need to have some sort of rules, but that the rules need to be judicious and fair. The definitions of these things vary, which is fine. There ought to be honest and careful dialogue and debate about reform. But if we're gonna be followers of Jesus, we have to keep a couple of things in mind. The first thing to keep in mind is that being in the United States illegally is not a criminal offense. It's a civil offense. To be dealt with in a civil court like a parking ticket. So just by show of hands, how many of you have ever gotten a parking ticket? How many of you have ever been to Seattle? It's the same question, right? (laughs) That doesn't make you a criminal. It just provides you something that you need to address, okay? And, and that's the same thing. The second thing to keep in mind is our own backstory. Because if we're people of faith, then we've got a backstory ourselves that identifies us with the immigrant. So if you're filling in the blanks, the first one's quite simple. Remember that Abraham, the father of our faith, was an immigrant. He was born in the land of Ur, called by God to move to Canaan, often called the promised land, he left his father's house and went to the place that God had showed to him. Now, when he got there, this is what God said to Abraham, okay? The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God, okay? So the recognition, God saying, look, you are here as an immigrant and a foreigner, but this land I'm going to give to you and your descendants. Now, those of you who know biblical history, you know that there were already people living in that land when God told Abraham he was giving the land to Abraham. And some of you are even thinking, I wonder how the people living there felt about that at that time, right? I just wanna remind you that God can give your land to anyone he wants to. It's not really your land, is it? It's God's land. Everything on earth is God's. God can choose to give your land, your house, your property, your stuff. It can go to whoever God wants to give it to. Why, because it's really not yours, it's his. It's important to keep in mind. Not really fun to think about, but it's important to keep in mind. Second thing that you see, Moses was an immigrant. We could go through the fathers of faith here. It says in Acts 7.29, when Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. And some of you know the story of Moses, but Moses was born in Egypt, but then he had some legal trouble. Remember that? It killed a guy. Legal trouble. And so he fled to another land, this land of Midian got married there, raised kids there, lived 40 years of his life there as an immigrant, and then he led the world's largest immigration, a mobile refugee camp, if you will. It's called the Exodus. You can read about it in that book. And in fact, if you take a cursory look at the Old Testament scripture, you will see all sorts of folks who are listed there who serve in lands and live in lands other than the lands that they were born into, like Joseph Noah, Ruth, Esther, Daniel, Jonah, and the list can go on and on. But it's not until the New Testament that you hit the biggie, right? And some of you already know what this fill-in is. Jesus, our Savior, was an immigrant. Okay. Many of you already knew this. It's not a surprise, but this is what the Scripture says in Matthew two thirteen: An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Flee to Egypt with the child, It's talking about Jesus, and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. Okay, so Jesus was immigrated as a baby, fleeing an oppressive political regime in order to stay alive. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because every time we engage in the conversation about immigration, we need to ask ourselves this question, how would we have wanted Jesus and his family to be treated when they were immigrating? Can you imagine what would have happened if they were denied entry into Egypt? If they were deported back under Herod's regime, they would have been slaughtered. It's so important for us to keep that in mind when we think or discuss the topic of immigration because Jesus himself was an immigrant. And somebody could push back well, each of these guys that you mentioned in the Bible had a reason, maybe even a godly reason, to be immigrants. Yeah, you're right. You know their backstory. And the more backstories that you become familiar with, the more you'll understand how every immigrant family has a reason behind their journey as well. But I want to give you an even more personal kicker. Again, this is through the lens of faith, through the biblical lens, okay? And it's this, that the Bible makes it very clear that you and I are immigrants. Right now, right here, we are immigrants, We are all living in a foreign land. We are all trying to make it as best we can in the far country. While deep in our hearts, we yearn for our true home. And so it says in 1 Peter 1, 17, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, look at this, live out your time as foreigners here, go ahead and circle those two words, as foreigners here in reverent fear. Where are we foreigners? Right here. We are immigrants. Next verse, 1 Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. You know, we forget this, right? We forget that we are the immigrants, that we are the travelers, that we're the foreigners here. And we, we end up getting lulled to sleep a little bit. We think we own the place. We think we belong here, but we don't. We belong to another kingdom, Our hearts clamor for home until they find their home in God. In fact, C.S. Lewis has a great quote on this. He says, If I find in my desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And that's true. But you see, we forget that we're immigrants, and we're tempted to carve out a little ground for our own here, and then to build a little castle for our own, and then to dig a little moat around it to keep others out. There's a psychological reality, and you can write this down, think about it, it comes up from time to time in the news, it's called NIMBY, N-I-M-B-Y, NIMBY, and it stands for Not In My Backyard. It's a psychological reality you read about every time, uh, you know, some county, say, bids on putting up a uh, detention center in the county or, or a landfill or something like that, and then everybody goes nimby, right? Not in my backyard. And we see this again and again and again. Um, I'll just tell you, most of you know that I I hail from Southern California, and I I love the beach. I love to surf. Um, I'm not very good at it. I don't do it very often, but when I do, I do it poorly, uh, but with passion, right? That's just, that's who I am. And um, growing up in Southern California, you would see this happen again and again, where some surfer scouring the coast would find a beautiful point break. I mean, it would be as if the Lord's presence was tangibly experienced there. And uh, you know, a nice, just crumbling, liquid grace, and uh, I just need a moment sunshine sparkling and, and uh, just the beautiful moment there and then uh, inevitably what would happen is the surfer who, who discovered that break would do two things the first thing they would do is call their buddy and say hey you got to get down here we we got to surf this this is going to be the greatest thing ever let's let's claim it you know let's name it let's you know this is this is uh, you know trestles this is uh, you know swamis like they would they would name it and it would be their place and the very second thing they would do is put up a sign or spray paint the words, locals only. Didn't even matter if they weren't local. They, they found it. It was theirs. Now they were going to fight to keep everybody else away. And even as I say that, I know what's already stirring in your heart, because you realize that that, that attitude is not tenable in God's kingdom. That's not possible in God's economy. That we are graced by Jesus. Are we then to hoard grace and blessing and favor to ourselves? No way. We're to reveal his grace and his love and his favor to all, right? And and that's sort of what's going on behind this discussion. Right now, you need to understand, a couple of different polls are out there, but they suggest that 97% of Americans polled favor a sensible, judicious, bipartisan plan for immigration reform. 97% 97% of Americans polled realize that something's broken in the system and that it needs to be fixed. That's an overwhelming majority, right? 97% say, yeah, we, we see this. It needs to be fixed. A bunch of pastors have even gotten on board with this from all denominational and theological stripes, realizing that this is a family issue and a justice issue. Uh, these are things that God calls his church to care about. But there are 3% of Americans who are against judicial, bipartisan immigration reform. And for them, it's like they're putting up a sign that says locals only. But friends, we've got to remember our own backstory, that unless we're Native Americans, our ancestors were immigrants who founded this nation in the first place. And as people of faith and the church of Jesus, we realize that not only are the heroes of our faith immigrants, but our own framework defines us as immigrants as well. So we're pressed by Jesus to show the same sort of hospitality and graciousness to others as we would want to receive. In fact, that's what he says, Matthew 7, 12, you guys know this. In everything, he says, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. By show of hands, how many of you have heard that phrase before, do unto others as you would have them do unto you? Anybody? That rule is so good, it's golden, okay? No? No? Golden rule? No? Okay. Sunday school, people. You you know, this is is what it does to us. Now, there is a trippy little verse that commands us to welcome the stranger. And I I love this verse, and, and I love imagining sort of all of the ramifications of it. But it's in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. And it says this, "'Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers.'" For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Isn't that awesome? So I, I think about, now listen, I just got to tell you, I believe that there's a supernatural reality pressing on this natural reality that we see and experience every day. So I don't have any problem believing this verse. And I'll just tell you that my wife Jody and I, in the 18 years that we've spent together, we, we've uh, practiced this verse at different times and seasons. And we've invited homeless folks to come and stay with us. And we've invited interns to live in our home for different seasons and ministry partners. And we've just had hospitality be a part of how we wanted to do our life and faith and family. But I do want to tell you this morning that I'm pretty sure all of those people that we've invited into our home were mortal, okay? Okay. They were all real flesh and blood. And I, I wish I had an angel story to tell you right now. It would be so awesome. You know, we invited this guy in, and he was so great. And, and we went to, you know, prepare the food, but it was already prepared. And then, you know, we, we, we all said goodnight that night, and in the morning, he was gone. And then the bed was made, and there was no evidence of his arrival. You know, like, I would be so stoked. Uh, but I, I don't have that story. But I will tell you this that Jesus actually says that there's something even more cool about welcoming the stranger. More cool than hosting an angel? More cool than hosting an angel. He says, when you welcome the stranger, you welcome me. So that's what he says in Matthew chapter 25. He's talking about the end of the days and judgment, and he says, look, Jesus, by the way, if you want to continue to read that passage, he goes on to explicitly state that whenever we fail to welcome the stranger, we are failing to welcome him. So does a just immigration process have anything to do with us, with with the church of Jesus, the representatives of his kingdom here on earth? You bet your sweet Made in America boxer shorts it does. Right? Absolutely. We are called to care. We're called to love. We're called to value folks no matter where they hail from, no matter what languages they speak. Right? This is the reality that we live in from a biblical perspective. So I'm proud to say uh, here at Overlake, there are hundreds of immigrants. And you have no idea how much joy it brings me to look out on this crowd Sunday after Sunday and and to see so many different nationalities represented, even a few who hail from Southern California, right? And if you're an immigrant and you're here legally, then I hope it's obvious from the spirit of this message that you're welcome here. I just want to say it again. You belong here, and it's an honor to have you and your family here being an essential part of this body uh, here at Overlake. And if you're an immigrant and you're here illegally, then you need to know in a special way that you are also very welcome here, period. Legalities and green cards and documentation, border control, immigration control, these are not our primary concern here at Overlake. You're here because you're a citizen of God's kingdom or you're interested in becoming one, and that citizenship is our primary concern. As a member of God's family, you are a brother or a sister in Christ. And the only circumstance where national citizenship becomes our concern is if you're pursuing a pathway to citizenship, and we might be able to help and support you in that process. You know, maybe somebody might make a case that it should be Overlake's concern to encourage people to obey the law, and if they're here illegally, then they're breaking the law, and that's a problem. But the reality is the laws around this issue are a mess, And that's why there are hundreds of pastors, evangelical pastors, leaders from all sides of the political spectrum, right, left, and otherwise, who have come together. It's why right now there's reform legislation being debated this month in the House, and all of us can speak into that process. See, our job is to love first and last, right? Um, If anything, those who are here illegally need more grace and care because they've live through more trauma, and continue to live with constant fear that their families could be broken apart at any moment if immigration enforcement shows up on their doorstep. You know, Overlake, we've taken some great pains to build into our DNA that we want to go after worship first and outlandish love. And, and, and so a verse that I would point you to, a real clear verse about outlandish love is the, the time when Jesus says the second greatest commandment in all of Scripture is love your neighbor. And then there's a qualification on that verse. You remember how we're supposed to love our neighbor? Love your neighbor as you love yourself, right. So really, it becomes all reflexive. The, the same kind of a fair and judicious process that we would hope to walk into that's the kind of fair and judicious process that we would seek to build for others, right? That, that's what love looks like in that reflexive way. Now, um, a, a good question would come up. You hear Jesus say, love your neighbors, you love yourself. A good question was, well, who's my neighbor then, right? Who qualifies? Remember, Jesus was asked that same question. Do you recall how he answered? He, he answered by telling a story of a man who was traveling, and on his travels, he was attacked and robbed and, and beaten, and he was left for dead on the side of the road. And then he tells a story about how people just passed him by, that, that people didn't care about him in his pain. But then there was one person who stopped to help, and this was a person who came from a different cultural background and a different eth- ethnic background, somebody who had different worship practices than this man who had been beaten. But he was the one who stopped and dressed his wounds, cared for him, put him on his own donkey, took him, provided room and board for him. The one who welcomed the stranger was the neighbor, Jesus says. And the story is called the Good Samaritan. See, that's the model that we're to go after. That's the picture that, that we're to embrace. Don't, don't mishear me in this one. Of, of course, there needs to be rules. There needs to be a process. What I'm arguing for is that it would be fair and that there would be a a legitimate coming together, bipartisan, judicious, even prayerful. That's why there's a lot of folks that are praying during this season, a lot of pastors that are getting on board, saying this is an issue that we can speak into because we feel it's a justice issue, okay? So I want you to understand this, that before we trusted Jesus, all of us, every single one of us were, in some respects, spiritually speaking, we were illegals in God's sight. But God found that situation unacceptable to him. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus, to forgive us of all our sins, to put us on the pathway of life, and to adopt us into his own family. So spiritually speaking, because of Jesus, I wanna say this. Our claim has been processed. Our visas have been granted. And we have been given full rights of citizenship in God's kingdom. The full rights of sons and daughters of the king. It's his love that has legitimized us. For those of you who have a United States passport, I I want to call your attention to some of the words found inside of it. And the words are these. The Secretary of State of the United States of America hereby requests all whom it may concern to permit the citizen national of the United States named herein to pass without delay or hindrance. And in the case of need to give all lawful aid and protection. Do you realize how powerful those words are? I mean, they humble me just to think about. I I get emotional when I think about the muscle that's found behind that little blue book on my behalf. The privilege to go anywhere in the world that it means. But listen, friends, I want to be very clear that the eternal muscle that you have extended on your behalf as citizens of God's kingdom is infinitely greater. See, this is what God has done for all of us who have accepted his work in Jesus Christ. And that's why it says in Ephesians 2.19, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens with everyone else who belongs to the family of God. So that's where we end. I I, I want to point your attention now to the bookmarks that are in your handout. And you'll see that on the front it just says, I was a stranger, sort of a nationwide campaign of pastors that are going on right now. And then on the back you'll see 40 verses of Scripture and then a couple of action steps. I would love to have you use this bookmark in your Bible over the next 40 days, My prayer is that you would read through and meditate on each of these passages, that you would begin to look at the lens of what is God's perspective on immigration? What is his lens on how he views the nations? The second thing I would say, uh, go to this website and listen to a story, Get to Know an Immigrant, because the backstory changes everything. And on that site, you'll also find there are a couple of different suggestions about how immigration reform might take place, what pathways might be initiated that would be fair and judicious. And then the third thing says learn more about how you can be involved, and there's a website there as well. So go ahead and take this and kind of ponder what it is as you're reading through the scriptures, what is the Spirit of God stirring in you, and how is He calling you to be involved in this issue? Why don't we take a moment and just ask Him that right now? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and pray. Jesus, we, we want to thank you for how you care for us, and we want to thank you that, that you have walked a road of immigration, that you know what it's like to be an immigrant. You are um, the Lord of immigrants, and for that we're thankful because all of us in a very real and a very spiritual reality is, is that we're immigrants here in a foreign nation. We long for home with you. And so, Jesus, we just ask that you would continue to grace us. Allow us to interact with your word over this issue. Allow us to hear from your Holy Spirit over this issue. Uh, Allow us to be prompted into action because we want to be your church. We we want to represent heaven on earth. And in order to do so, Lord, we realize this is one of those stretching moments. So would you just show us what it looks like for us to truly love outlandishly, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves that we would welcome the stranger, and in doing so, welcome you. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.